Today, I want to start with a quote from Chris Tolley, from the guest on today's episode. It is, I live to be hated, yet I yearn to be accepted. That's next level stuff. And in fact, it's one of those things that got me thinking on a recent ride about where I kind of fall within this world of acceptance, hatred, love, self-awareness, panache, moxie, all of these different characteristics that I feel that kind of embody Chris Tolley as an athlete and as a person. So I did this thing and I want you to join me in this journey, but apply it to yourself. So I came up with a simple test. I took three different character attributes that I think are kind of interesting. So panache, moxie, and self-awareness. And I graded myself at different times during my life about how much panache, moxie, or self-awareness I perceived or believed myself to possess. So the first time I looked at myself was at the age of 16. So we're looking at like 1996. This is doofy Rob Kelly in Naperville, Illinois, going through all of the growing pains that is high school. That version of Rob Kelly was nothing but panache. I thought I was the greatest thing that ever happened to the sport of swimming, and that was about it. Did I have any moxie? No, I just followed exactly what everybody else was telling me to do. Did I have any self-awareness at all? Oh, dear God, no, I did not. Just look at the clothes that I chose to wear at that point in time. It was like a version of grunge that had long since disappeared but was only popular at Abercrombie & Fitch and three or four times the actual cost of the clothing. Zero self-awareness. I thought about two things and two things only at that point in time. The first is how cool I was as a swimmer, and two, how cool did I look while I was doing said sport. Let's go forward 10 years into the future. It is 2006. I am no longer doofy Rob Kelly living in Naperville, Illinois. I am now law school graduate. I still can't believe that they let me out with a degree living in Byram, Mississippi. You would think by this point in time in my life, a law school and a job, I would have figured something out. Oh, God, had I not figured anything out. And I now know that by virtue of looking back at how I fit within the the trichotomy of panache, moxie, and self-awareness. I had zero panache. I was scared and frightened about doing anything in a professional context. Did I have moxie? Oh, gosh, I had a lot of moxie. I was destined to rule the world, and I was clearly the only one who knew how the law worked. Did I have any amount of self-awareness? Yeah, let's give myself a little bit of self-awareness over where I was in 1996, but nowhere near enough. All I knew is I knew enough to be dangerous. I had three recurring thoughts in my brain at any given time. Different members of the opposite sex that I found attractive to me how awesome I was at bike racing versus how objectively good I was at it. And most importantly, I needed to find a full-time job because money buys things and groceries, even in Byron, Mississippi, are expensive. I will spare you 10 years into the future, 2016. Yeah, let's just go to today. 2022, 43-year-old Rob Kelly, Washington, D.C., 
a job, a family, a career, a podcast about bike racing. I would think that I've got something figured out. Again, 20 years from now, I will probably sit there in embarrassment, but let's look at it. Do I have any panache at all these days? I did start a podcast about bike racing, about crit racing, so some would say that I have put myself out there and that is something to be bold about and something to be happy to celebrate. Do I have any moxie at all? I am currently trying to take over the entire world of Criterium Racing media in the United States. Do I have moxie? Answer the question for yourself. I sure as heck think that I do. Do I have any self-awareness at all? Probably since you've listened to most of this introduction right now, only occasionally pushing 15 seconds ahead and skipping, you will know that I have none, zero self-awareness at all about anything, but at least I'm having a really great time while doing it. I have way more than three thoughts in my head right now at any given time. In fact, if you want to look inside and peer inside to this brain, you will see as many thoughts right now, currently running, competing against each other as there are tabs open on the Safari on my iPhone. Spoiler alert, if you started closing those tabs right now, you will get to the end and have finished doing that project only by the time that this whole podcast has been completed. So enjoy your next hour thinking about me closing all the tabs and having all those competing thoughts currently happening in my brain. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. Now, how did you all do? Be honest with yourselves. But more importantly, how do you think Chris Tolley does in that trichotomy of moxie, panache, and self-awareness. I don't think it's gonna take you too far into the course of this interview to discover exactly the fact that we all know is that he is scoring hundreds on all of these. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. That was a awful segue. It was actually a segue that didn't exist. WideAnglePodium.com is our home. Go there, look at the full bevy of shows that we have available. Cyclocross Radio, Nowhere Fast, The Grodio, Slow Ride Podcast. You've probably heard over the last couple of weeks about the implosion of the independent cycling media or about cycling media in general. It's been terrible and tragic, but it highlights the fact that cycling media exists because of the support that we get from the readers, listeners, watchers, subscribers. The Wide Angle Podium, we are not owned by anybody. We are content creator owned, but we need your help to keep the doors open, to keep the lights on, to keep all of this equipment sitting in front of us working on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So please subscribe, donate, become a member of this network and help support this content creator owned effort. This episode of the show is brought to you by Bob's Pickle Pops. You're going to be saying, who are Bob's Pickle Pops? Why should I know about them? Go to at Bob's Pickle Pops on Instagram or Facebook. You can find out a ton about them or ask Celine Oberholzer about them. She is a regular user of the product. When they first reached out to us to talk about doing a sponsorship ad for this show, because they are huge fans of Chris Tolley, I said, Celine, who are these people? And she goes, oh my God. They literally saved my life numerous times. 
Do not forget Celine used to live in San Marcos, Texas, which is due south of Austin, where Chris Tolley is from. It gets ridiculously hot there in the summer, in the spring, in the fall, and dehydration is a huge problem for endurance athletes or basically anybody who spends a long time outdoors. Bob's Pickle Pops and Pickle Potion Number no. 9, a hydration product that they make, just consider them to be your Swiss Army knife of great-tasting beneficial goodness for better hydration. It is packed with elements that your body needs and craves before and or after training. It's conveniently and thoughtfully designed to slip right in that back pocket so that it fits snugly and perfectly in your jersey without ruining any of the lines. What is it? It's sugar-free, it's sodium replenishing, it's keto-friendly, it's five calories only. It is an electrolyte and acidic acid-boosting muscle cramp-busting product. They have three basic products, Pickle Potion number nine, which is a drink, and also the Pickle Pops themselves. You might think that this is kind of like a Freezy Pop, but it's not at all. Yes, you can put the Pickle Pops into the freezer. They come out cold. They're wonderful, but they are not icy like a Freezy Pop. It's more of a creamy, and they taste surprisingly good. They're slightly sour. They have all the yumminess and goodness of pickles. So if you like the taste of pickles, Go right ahead, have them. This is gonna make your day. One of the reviews on Amazon was hilarious. A woman gave it to her child and the child does not like the taste of pickles, but loves the taste of Bob's Pickle Pops. They're available anywhere that you wanna go. Like I said, they're on Amazon, they're at Walmart, they're on texasfood.com, soon they'll be at Kroger. They are at Brookshire's, United West Markets, they are everywhere. At Bob's Pickle Pops, Instagram, Facebook, Check them out. They love Chris Tolley. We love them. Celine Oberholzer is a huge fan of theirs. This episode is also brought to you by Hammerhead, the makers of the Karoo 2. You've heard us talk about the Karoo 2 before. It is the head unit of head units. I've been using mine for the last year, and I've loved it. It's constantly and continuously impressing me by how better it's gotten since I've had it. Updates coming regularly pushed to the unit make it better. It is a better product today than it was when I picked it up. But you've heard me talk about this before. It's cold here. Washington, D.C. is a cold place in the winter. It's not Massachusetts cold, but it's colder than it really I would like it to be. But I have to deal with it because I can't change the weather. With cold weather comes wearing gloves. This is a touchscreen device, and I was super skeptical back in March when I got this and it was cold, and I was wearing big, thick gloves, and I was like, this is not gonna work. These never work, even with Tech Touch. This product does work. The Karoo 2 works very well. It is super responsive on its touchscreen to gloves, Tech Touch or not. You do not have to take your hands out of the warmth that is the glove that you have in order to make the product work. But for those who don't want to use a touchscreen, there are buttons on either side. Now there's a ton of other parts of this product that I could talk about. I could talk about the highly customizable screens, the climber feature, the really great mapping and the routing features that I've used on trips outside of Washington, DC. I could talk about how it's perfect for night riding or daytime riding or whatever, but you get the point. This is an incredible product. For listeners of the show, go to hammerhead.io, put the Karoo 2 into your cart, put a heart rate monitor, use the promo code CRITNATION, all one word, capitalize. That heart rate monitor is now free to you, thanks to the great folks 
at Hammerhead. We are also brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net. They're our long-term partners. You've heard me talk about them before. You don't have to hear me talk about them again here on this episode because we've got a testimonial. Hi, I'm Dr. Natalie McLean, affectionately known as Stan. As a relative newcomer to this sport over the past two years, I've definitely come to appreciate the coaching from Source Endurance. I have fortunately had the opportunity to ride both the BWR Utah camp in 2021 and uh, the BWR California camp in 2022. Through those experiences, I gained a coach in Zach Allison. I appreciate Zach's ability to condense and synthesize what I'm feeling and experiencing on the bike and explain it to me in terms that I understand and can work with for my progress. Having a coach, even at my advanced age and uh, ability has allowed me to continuously train without injury, continue to succeed in my endeavors, and my results have improved significantly in the time that I've been with Source Endurance. I think that everyone can benefit from a coach, and if you're going to go with a coach, you should go with Source Endurance because they're absolute professionals in every manner. Thanks, Stan. And remember, source-e.net, go there, find what you're looking for, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word, for $50 off your first month. Okay, a lot of talking here on my part. Now's the time to get to Chris Tolley and listen to him talk about all those things that make him so special to all of us. And we're doing that right now. I race for nobody anymore. I'm by myself. When I started this show in like 2019, I had this whole like uh, Ira Glass American Life vibe where, yeah, I used to divide it all up into like chapters. And then I outgrew that because I didn't want to talk so much. And I wanted to hear more from you from the from the actual guest than I wanted to hear from myself. But I thought I'd take a step back and maybe do a chapter here because I've divided this up into like three different parts. And the each part has a cool name that it goes with it. So the first chapter is literally the cult of Tali. Ooh. Yeah, cult of personality, cult of Tali. I like it. I like cults too, so we're good. So when we announced that you were going to be on the show, that you were going to be a guest on the show, we received tons of DMs, comments, sick. You know, on social media and half of them, at least half of them, had to be inside jokes. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I've never gotten that much feedback before somebody even recorded the first word. But like, is there genuinely a cult of Chris Tolley in Central Texas and beyond? Uh, tough question, because I hate thinking like I'm important, like in any respect, like to be completely honest. Uh, but it is weird. Like I will go to the supermarket and like a kid will want to take a photo. Like it's some like junior and I'm like, I don't know who these people are. And then I'll go, I'm like, okay, it's like, you know, I race bikes in Texas. Like they probably saw me at some races, but then I'll go to like Iowa and there's like a little like group of fans. And it's like, it's strange. Cause like, it's honestly like, I'll be truthful. I've not like 
I like like to race bikes. I raced like as a cat one, but like I'm not crazy good. I'm just I don't know. They're just like these kids think I'm relatable or something on the internet. So they're out there. I got you know I signed someone's kid last year, which was pretty unusual. Um, I just think it. I don't know. Maybe I'm like personable because they can tell. I just don't care. You know, they know I'm just a real person. I think a lot of pros are unapproachable. You live very much in the public eye. Like, yes. the first time I was introduced to you, not as a person, but like the idea of you <laughs> was after the whole Crip Beef thing came up. Oh, yeah. Somebody said, you know, Tali, this is your opportunity. I have no idea what that means. You've got these people who maybe they know you, maybe they don't know you. And they understand that there is a situation where you can speak, that they'd like to hear you speak, that they're curious about what you think about something as opposed to anybody else in the world. It doesn't even have to be about you, but they want to know what you have to say about it. And so these people, you're wondering what I have to say about like crit beef or? Or anything really, like why do people care what you have to say? Like, why are you such a dynamic personality that people are genuinely interested in your opinions? Uh, ooh, that's a good one. Again, I don't know why people are interested in my opinions. Well, actually, no, I don't know. I've had people tell me, and it's because I don't, like, I don't give a shit if I offend somebody with, like, a comment or, like, I, I have, like, no, I think one of the nice things about having a job, like, a job outside of, like, this world, because a lot of, like, bike racers don't want to offend sponsors or like potential sponsors or any of that i don't give a shit about that like i truly don't like i will get dropped by everybody before i would like censor my opinion on something and i think people know that also i go after people who like are like relatively like big in the sport and i just don't care like it's like is it in my best interest to like you know make fun of legion in like if i wanted to maybe become a pro bike racer, but I don't. I just want to have fun, and this is fun for me. So I think that's they just value my opinion because I will not censor it. So from the outside, it looks like you have crafted this careful public persona that seems to highlight your disdain for having a carefully crafted public persona. Yes, it's a, it's a cluster, trust me. I don't know how I reconcile it, but... Well, that, that's the question. How do you how do you wrap your mind around the fact that you reach out to the, the world and you say, this is Chris Tolly. Come love me. Come give me attention. Come be a part of this, this happy macabre life that I live. But at the same time, like, I don't need you, bro. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's I don't know how I reconcile it. I mean, I on like, I don't know. I think I might have like some sort of personality disorder, but uh I just like it's it's funny. I feel like I'm always fucking with everybody. And so it's like fun to have this persona that I created that is like it's just like dead it's kind of like just narcissistic but you know satire, which is fun. So cuz people meet me in real life and they expect me to be like how I am on the internet, but I'm not. It's just like it's fun that I've been able to craft a persona that's gotten me so far and it's just like a bit. Well, okay, so I have a question. How did it start? Oh, God. You know, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of how my, like, brand identity started. I've always liked, like, just, like, I've always thought social media was a joke. And 
so I've been like making fun of it for like quite a while and then like taking like years off of it when I was younger. But I honestly think it was the rise of like cycling influencers because that's something that's like pretty much happened during like my time racing bikes. Like just these like fake personalities or people like riding for brands that they don't really care. Like I know they don't care about or like they wouldn't ride if they weren't giving them free shit. And so I'm like, y'all are selling out and I'm going to make fun of all of this and like how they talk, like introducing themselves when they're like posting a story. I'm like, this is the weirdest shit in the world. And so I just do it. But everyone knows it's a joke. That's how I think that's how it started. Seeing all these like gravel influencers, like crit influencers. When I started, like it was like, who was I looking up to? Like Daniel Holloway, even though like he relentlessly talked shit to me on the Internet, like he wasn't like he wasn't like that but then like this like crop of like influencer bike racers came up and i was just like i have to make fun of these kids i just didn't think they were genuine so i just made fun of them what is it about the cycling influencer that just really drives you nuts god i i don't know if it's like i think it's just influencers in general but oh like what in particular irks me i mean everyone's out there just trying like I just don't like people not being genuine or not being real or not being how they would be like off the bike. Like it's just something I like, I just like to make fun of. I'm trying to think like all those people riding for like, actually people riding for Red Bull that are like health experts or like, or particularly like, you know, health conscious. And I'm like, yo, that's the most sugary drink in the world and like terrible for you, but you're like consuming it 24 seven or like saying you are, it's just, it's funny. Same with like Monster Hydro. I'm like, come on, no one actually wanted to drink that. Like, it just sucked. So, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's just funny. So I just had to make fun of it. But hey, I mean, everyone's trying to get that bag. So you know, paycheck. But I don't need one, so I can make fun of all of it. So I want to turn the script here on Celine here for a second, because I'm not a resident expert on Central Texas. So like, I don't know anything about Austin. San Marcos or anything like that. Celine, what was your first experience with Tali, with learning about him? Like why why did he catch your attention? Um, I think I saw a video at Gateway Cup where he crashed and he's like screaming about how he pulled his or like tore his uh asshole. My mom's gonna be mad at me for tore my asshole. Yeah, my mom's gonna be mad at me for saying that. <laughs> But um, I thought that was hilarious. And like a week later, I crashed myself out for the first time at driveway and I shredded both my ass cheeks. I remember that one. I was like, I, but I didn't rip my asshole. So I <laughs> sent Chris a video. I was like, this is how you crash without tearing your asshole. You just like slide on your butt. I remember this. Yeah. And then we started following each other um, on Instagram. And then um, I don't know, he like, asked me if I was interested in racing gravel for state. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just providing opportunities for everybody. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah no, that, ga- that Gateway Cup crash, I still I still have it, um, like the video of it. Uh, but yeah, it sucked. And yeah, I did. I tore my asshole open. Um, it wasn't like too bad. <laughs> like, but yeah, like, God, this kid, he apologized later. I won't name him. But like... Yeah, I flipped off my bike probably like 30 miles an hour. And then like I just landed. Uh, it's hard to illustrate what, what happened, but it was uh, difficult. It was probably the most, I would say the most painful crash that I remember. I got knocked out when I 
tore my AC joint, so the pain wasn't really there. But other than that, this is this is the worst one. Part of your thing is that you came up through like the BMX ranks. That's my understanding. True. Yes. Yeah. I I started racing when I was like 25, like, uh, and I came from BMX. Like, I had rode like road bikes because I tore. I've had like six knee surgeries, or I had six knee surgeries before I was like 21 from riding BMX. And then they were like, you need to rehab your knees. And I was just like, okay. So I just rode. My friend gave me a fixed gear, which was probably not the best idea for my knees, but I took to it. Uh, in Ohio, I was like pretty flat and I is you know, farmland. I just didn't have to slow down anywhere. I just rode in jean shorts for like 80 miles. And I was like, this is sick. Uh, Cause I couldn't ride BMX like heavy for six months. And yeah, so I just picked up another bike because I have so much energy and BMX is a good outlet. But yeah, I started racing when I was like 25, but I still ride BMX. I'm literally riding BMX right after this. What's that community like? I know nothing about BMX except for the fact that there's a place south of DC in Virginia that's like a BMX destination. Oh, I'm trying to think of what that is. Um, South of Virginia. There are Woodwards out there. There is a Woodward out there, but I'm not sure if it's that. There's a bunch of pros in... Greenville, North Carolina. I don't know if that's close. Like Ryan Nyquist, Dave Mira, RIP, used to live there. So, but uh, what is the BMX community like? It's the sickest community. Like, way sicker. It's like skateboarding, too. Like, it's kind of the same, maybe a little less pretentious. Like, not knocking skaters, but like, you know, they're commercially viable. BMX is like literally, I don't know how we're surviving. Like, it's uh, my bike lasts for like seven years, and I'm like, I don't have to replace anything on it. Like, I don't know how it makes money. But the community itself is tight. Uh, it's like, you know, a lot of young kids, but people stick with it for, I mean, I'm 34 or 33, uh, still riding, you know, like 50 year olds who still shred. And uh, yeah, we all want the same thing, which is just to learn or just, I don't know, have fun riding a bike. It's just like purely fun. I've never like been competitive. Like, yeah, never really competitive with it, but yeah, it's just pure fun. So you started with BMX and then got onto fixed gears to rehab your knee, but how did you get to your first race? Oh, so uh, I had two roommates at the time that lived in, this is in Boston, so I went to school out there, uh, and I had two roommates, Eric Bauman and Melitza, uh, and they were both like super into cyclocross, uh, which is like huge in the Northeast. It's like de- it's like crazy how dead it is here, but they were like, Chris, you, you gotta like race, just like something, like race a crit. And I was just like, okay, okay. I had like, I think at that time, like a steel Serata with like some Reynolds carbon wheels. It was like, a, it was super sick. But I like would only ride really hard alone by myself to music for like hours. I never raced. I never did group rides. And then I like did this, it was like Blue Mountain, I think something, Blue Hill. Uh, and I just won. Uh, it was sick. I, just, I didn't know what I was doing, but they were like, Chris, you just, just race one time. And then it became an addiction. So that's it. Took a lot of teeth pulling. I should have done it earlier. I mean, I, ra- I guess I raced alley cats for a little bit. Uh, and But they were like, I, I mean, they weren't really challenging because I was like, I roadie fitness versus like kids who are like drinking like half the, ra- half the race. So I was just like, I want something harder. What is it about the racing that took you so long to get into? Like, did you not just want to take it serious or did you? I didn't even know racing existed. I just didn't know. Like I didn't watch the tour. Like I didn't know anyone who like, I didn't know what a crit was. Like I didn't know road racing. Like I just didn't know. Like it never, like Ohio, I don't think had like a scene for it. Like 
my exposure to like bike, like, you know, big bikes was like group rides and like critical mass and shit. Like I just, no one told me that like people race bikes like that. So it was just like, to, I was totally ignorant. Okay. So at this point in time, we got to transition over to chapter two because we're already talking about it. Chapter two. Nice. Is Tali on a bike? Oh yeah. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'd love to hear it from you. Do you genuinely just like riding your bike? Jorts, spandex, whatever it happens to be. 100%. I, I don't care. Like if I, I mean, it's, you know, it crit racing, for instance, like brings a particular excitement, like, but just like genuinely riding my bike. Like, I, I don't know. I'd, I've done it like every weekend almost for like the past, like 10 years. When was that? Yeah, like 10 years or more, like just like long road rides. Uh, and I don't get tired of it. Like, it's just fun. Like, it's just like a, I, I don't know. I just like riding. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm racing. It doesn't matter if I'm training. It doesn't matter if it, like nothing matters, but riding is it. <laughs> so I'm hyped. It's like, I don't ever get bored. I think about this all the time. I'm like, I found something so sick that I don't get bored of and I can do it for the rest of my life. Like I figured life out so early. I have I have two questions that kind of popped up simultaneously. They're not related to one another. One of them is that I am familiar with your playlist that you and Nick have made for like long rides. Yes, Nick and Chris bonding songs. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, aside from that playlist, is there anything else that you listen to, or do you ever just ride in silence, or what's your what's your uh... never silence? Um, I I like literally have I have my AirPods and I have a backup pair of headphones when they die on long rides. Um, I I don't know. It's just like this weird zone that I can get in where like I don't know. My mind is only thinking about like what I'm doing at that current moment, which is really nice um, and like rare because I don't like. I'm like too ADHD to like meditate. And so riding is kind of a form of that, like with music. Um, I listen to almost exclude, like I can't listen to podcasts. So it can't be, I can't be like focusing on what someone's saying. Um, but yeah, mostly like SoundCloud is a really good platform and Mixcloud. Listen to a lot of uh, DJ sets, essential mixes. Um, I have like a whole library of them. Um, so that's mostly what I do zoning out i was gonna ask what your what your genre is but it sounds like it's electro it's hard to say techno i guess i don't know i hate using that word i don't know why because it just has like a sort of connotation but um electronic for sure like i can't listen actually oh and metal power metal i grew up on that so like there'll be rides where I, like usually like they're pretty short but i will listen to like a band like power trip slayer sometimes cannibal corpse because I used to have like really long hair and it's just like, I think it's a tempo thing because it's also just like fast, um, like speed metal from Iceland. Okay. What about Pantera typo negative? Oh yeah. Oh, typo negative just came up the other day. John, was it Johnny Steele? You ever know that guy? He is like, yeah. he, he's like, oh God, he's tight. He was like the lead, uh, I was like guitarist for them. Uh, sick. Uh, Pantera. Yes. Used to listen to them. Cowboys from hell. Uh, God, I was actually supposed to go to the show that he died at, uh, Dimebag Daryl at Al Rosa Villa in Columbus, Ohio, shot by a Marine. I remember that. I was like, I always wanted to go, but I was like really young. And my parents did not want me going to a Pantera concert uh, at like a bar. <laughs> and so, yeah, but yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Um, but yeah. It was like the 16-year-old the, the version of Rob Kelly going to a Henry Rollins concert. 
Yeah, that would have been that was a I did not own enough leather at, <laughs> at that time or enough motorcycles. There's still time. Celine, what was what was your second question? Yeah, um, well, I kind of want to hear more about um, thick ski racing back in the day, like when you first started, because it seemed like it was a whole nother era. Oh, yeah. my God, it was so fun. It was a whole other era. It's the golden age, I want to say. Like, I don't want to say like racing is kind of not has kind of like taken a nosedive since then, but I do feel like sort of the blend of like popular culture and bike racing came together with Red Hook. Like it was like aesthetically, like all of the material around it was like it was relatable to like normal people like every like I, I my family lives in LA or not LA uh New York and like I go there pretty often and like when I talk about bike racing like with like random people at parties they're like oh yeah I used to go watch Red Hook all the time non-cyclists didn't care but they went to Red Hook because it was like a show and like Dave Trimble who's like the greatest pro- event promoter of all time uh did such a good job with it and it just had this crazy energy about it it was so fun um but yeah and like honestly i got into like i got into fixed gear racing more than road racing because i didn't have money for um like a good road bike really like and i but i could afford like a decent fixed gear so that's like i remember buying like uh eurasia imports godzilla it had like deep v's and like that sort of shit but like it was nice and I could go on like super long rides with it. And so it made sense that like, that's the type of racing I was drawn to. Also, it felt like the most like sort of BMX atmosphere, like chaotic people crashing and just, yeah, just a big fuck it attitude. Normal racing is kind of daunt. I don't know, daunting when you like roll up and it's like a bunch of old dudes on like Colonagos or like rich juniors. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like fixed gears felt like more like real. So that's what I did. I'm kind of curious. I That like kind of inspired another question because I, similar to you, did not know that bike racing was even a thing until I was at Indiana University and heard about the little 500 and was like, oh, people oh, race sick. bikes. That's a thing that they can do. Yeah. But then you mentioned like that people knew about Red Hook. And so I'm curious, like what is what did Red Hook and fixed gear racing do differently that regular people know about it and like are drawn to it i mean i feel like <sighs> red hook i mean they, they had like had a much better marketing plan than like everybody else like just like i mean simple things like just like the stuff they put on social media like was you know they hired a, like a graphic designer to make and like not just like here's a race flyer and like a photo of like a finish line like and a you know podium it's like like that sort of thing like you're not i don't know it doesn't it doesn't seem like super enticing um but also like fixed gears were the cheap way to get into the market like you didn't it's like and they were like popular at the time like there was this sort of weird energy around them in like 2008 like when they kind of started popping off like they became cool with like hipster kids and so like everyone had a fixed gear and like god saying the word hipster is so crazy because that word has not been used in forever but like that's what we called them and they had like track bikes for some reason and so like that i don't know like they were associated with being cool and like normal bikes really like weren't i feel like that's changing but yeah they kind of he like red hook was able to kind of capitalize on that i mean they made a fucking movie about like fixed gears you know remember was it premium rush 
like you know that was kind of when fixed gears died but yeah i was i was in paris at the time that premium rush came out and like every single bus in paris had jason gordon levitt's face all over it it was the coolest thing i'm trying where did he go <laughs> he did a movie recently right i haven't seen he did a movie recently <laughs> about netflix oh shit. or uber uber oh god one of those like i don't want to watch a movie about something i've lived through i'm tired of that so fixed gear has got me thinking about a guy from austin who looked like prince oh yeah adrian, adrian thank yeah, you adrian Flor adrian flores yeah he is a homie he is like one of the nicest people of all time i love him i met him in barcelona during one of the red hook races in barcelona yes and there was something about like you got to explain like his 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 on the bike like outfit persona panache yeah what like what how would you explain that like well i mean it had ruffles no one else had ruffles like prince had uh, all pink or all like purple uh what do you call it? he raced a pink chinelli at one point way back but uh like a purple skin suit with like prince ruffles and he had like beautiful hair and he's gorgeous and he's riding his bike and it's just like it's just a bit it's funny i don't know he's great i love him could that could somebody pull that off in crit racing? Like with the vibe that we got in crit racing, could they pull that off? Yeah, I feel like you know, it would be tough, I think. I would do it. I should do it. Fuck it. I want to like cuz honestly like I really look up to um Cipollini. I mean, like I know there's some shit with him in the news recently, but like when he was uh like in the Tour de France, like he raced in psycho uniforms. Like like it looked, he had one skin suit, I think, for a time trial that like it was just looked like his skin had all been peeled off. And it was just muscle definition. Like he was so brazen and like loud, and he was also winning everything. So he could do it. Like he got away, he could do it because he was that tight. And I don't know, I've always like admired that sort of energy. I, I feel like someone could do it now, but I don't know. I feel like people are like kind of, I don't want to say like most crit racers. I don't know. I haven't met a single crit racer. I think that could like pull it off right right now. Like maybe outside of myself, not talking myself up, but like Paige. I feel like Paige could pull it off. Oh, but yeah. I mean, it, that would that could make sense actually. I think like I'm just trying to think of like what my bit would be, and that's like the hardest thing. But yeah, I mean, I've done things in like crop tops and stuff, but like that's just. I guess I don't really think of that as a big deal because I wear them on a normal basis, but I guess other people do. Um, but yeah, someone should, and at like a high level, and just be like, because it's just making fun of everything at the end of the day. Do you think that we take ourselves too seriously? Yes, everyone does. That's, I hate that shit. That's what, I mean, like the bring up that Crip Beef thing, like I challenged Legion and like Justin Williams and his entire team like on the internet, because I like made like a joke, like I was just like, oh, you didn't break 40 miles an hour uh, and, at like some sprint. And he got heated about it. And then all of them blocked me. I got, I'm still blocked by Legion, Corey and everybody. Um, Justin, though, he, he gets it. He understands who I am. Um, but I was just like, OK, I bought a flight to L.A. and raced them by myself. I think I got like fifth. And, <laughs> but it's like how like it's just you can't take yourself that seriously at a local crit like they came up to me afterwards like getting in my face and i'm like this is so funny like that you take this shit that seriously like that people are so i don't know it's just like to me it feels like being self like you're, they're just too self-conscious like they don't like no one no one can poke fun at them and i'm like i'm going to so i did it was fun how did that turn out for you great 
Nothing happened. I mean, uh, I think like it's just funny for the internet. Like I went out there, there are no severe consequences to my knowledge. Um, you know, it might, you know, I guess it just feeds my undesirable brand identity. So it worked out in my favor. I did it again, I guess, with like Unbound, kind of making fun of everything, like sneaking into the race, taking someone else's entry uh, and whatnot. It's just like, I guess I wasn't making fun of any racers then. I was just making fun of gravel because it takes itself way too fucking seriously. I absolutely adore your crashing Kansas video. Oh, yeah. I hope to make more stuff like that. It's fun. So what you did is you took John Croom's number and you raced. And you had this whole you had this whole deal about how how you you fooled everybody with your identity by wearing yes. a by wearing, wearing a, a mask and a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> well, Aaron, it's sunglasses, a mask, a helmet, making sure I went on race day so they wouldn't so they would be like everyone would be extra flustered. Cause like I had to think like when's the when's the you know the time that everyone's gonna be like the most distracted by other shit and not my own identity. And it was an hour before the race. And it's like, oh, I didn't miss pack a picket. I acted frantic, even though I was like not. Um, I just wanted a number. And then, yeah, I mean, I made it in. The thing thing about gravel that I find the most interesting or frustrating, and I think that your kindred spirit here, is gravel needs to admit that it takes itself as seriously as it does or needs to stop pretending like it doesn't take itself as seriously as it doesn't. 100%. 100%. It's just like, it's okay to give a shit about what you're doing. Exactly. Own up to it. Like, if you want to, like, be super serious about gravel racing and stuff, then don't, like, play it off as, like, this alternative form of cycling and, and like, results don't matter and it's more about, like, the beers afterwards. I'm like, don't kid yourself. Like, you know, if you care about it, like, you do. But, it like, fuck it. Uh, just making it seem like it's just a bunch i don't know i think you hit the nail on the head you've explained it way better than i did but uh yeah they just need to own up to being serious or just saying fuck it all the time i don't know and it can be both like um there are definitely some yeah there's some events that i would say are still uh more grassroots and like family vibes and um it's more about the experience than results but there are and I think it's becoming more obvious to people what which ones are which. Um, but yeah, on a personal level, um, it would, yeah, I don't know. It would be cool to see people just be real about um, what they're doing. Yeah. Just be real. Like, no, no one's going to, like, gravel is not like some sort of pathway to the world tour. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it's just fun. Like, none, it's all influencer people. Like, no one... In, I mean, there's very few like examples of people. I think that was it. Keegan Swenson's like an example who's like super talented, like, you know, goes to, you know, he wins all these races and then he go races like, uh, what do you call it? Like world championships and shit. Like, you know, there are these like one off, but it's like at the end of the day, it's like, it's like local road racing, but like kind of nationally, it's like not that big of a deal. Um, but what was I going to say? Yeah, there are like, I mean, I'm not knocking gravel because I do have, it's like, again, I love riding all bikes and they're all fun. And you could spot those events that are super sick a mile away. And the difference between like not sick events and ones that are really cool are just the people behind them. And you have to have like kind of a figurehead cheerleader person behind like gravel events that like gives a shit. Like Bobby 
from Mid-South. That event is so fucking tight. And then Andy Chastain, rule of three. Like you have these like people that like genuinely live and breathe bikes and they care so much about it and they're throwing these events and they get super serious people to show up. But it's a party and it's fun and like you can give a shit about the race and then you know chill afterwards and it's i don't know it's like the perfect blend of everything well like a lifetime event feels like a soul suck so speaking of people who live and breathe events and um just really do a lot behind the scenes to make something happen um (laughs) i feel like that's pretty on brand to describe you as well and what you did for the driveway series um so if we want to start going down that little fork in the road um is that chapter three? Do we have more questions? Where are we at? That's chapter three, Tolly the Advocate. Tolly the Advocate. Ooh, that's a good title. Uh, do we want to start there? I mean, yeah, because I'll just keep ranting like a lunatic on any topic you throw at me. Well, before we get to Tolly the Advocate, um, I had one final question within this confine of taking ourselves too seriously or, you know, potentially just trying to stem the tide of like this toxicity that exists in the world. You know, the beautiful thing about sport is that it can be an environment that's uh, free from whatever you don't want it to be. So, you know, like for me, the beauty of cycling is sometimes it's free from thought. Like all I have to do is get on the bike and I go out the door and I don't have to think about anything. Boom, it's easy, I love it. Sometimes I ride with music, sometimes I don't, I don't care, you know, but there has been this thing, especially this year at the front of the crit Peloton, where it's become very, in some cases, actually violent. You know, you've got, there's always been, and there always will be a certain amount of jostling. Mm -hmm. Jostling is racing. It's fighting for position. It's things like that. But when you cross that line from, from the, the, shoulder the elbow the fighting for position to the to the to bullying to fist fights to yeah. unsportsmanlike conduct there are currently six guys in crit racing who have unsportsmanlike conduct suspensions right oh, now i didn't know they publish those numbers they don't uh, that's the thing ooh. they don't yeah. the only reason i know about it is because people keep people tell me about it outside of the context of, yeah, of what's going on. I mean, you've got the three that we all know about from Salt Lake, but there are three more who have suspensions that will be put in place in April. Damn. So Oh, they start in April. They Shit. start in April, and they're 30 days. So, you know, the question is, is like, why, why? Just why are we taking it to that next level? I It does not make any sense, especially when, like, these stakes are so low. Like... It's winning a bike race is not worth putting someone in a barrier for like whatever. Like I've been like I've had like some crazy shit happen. I mean, when I blew my AC joint out, like you know, it was one of those scenarios or not. It wasn't a like a bullying scenario, but like I mean, Connor Sally this year got fucking destroyed on the bike by like a pretty aggressive maneuver. Like I guess someone someone called it like the death flick, and like that's like months off of someone's life that you're taking like. And like going through recovery and bills and all this other crazy shit. And like, yeah, we all sign up to and like are doing this on, you know, our own accord. But it doesn't like just get in front of somebody, like go harder than they are. Don't push them into a barrier. Like, and people glorify it. Like, 
I've like jokingly glorified like one thing where I like ran into somebody, but I didn't do it intentionally. Like someone cut me off and I was on a fixed gear and it was like pretty slow. But yeah, it's like, it's gnarly and it's, it doesn't make racing fun. Like I don't enjoy racing as much, um, like, like some of those crits, like I just don't feel like I want to die. Like, and I know those teams are going to like, you know, push you into a barrier, like nudge you like, and I'm like, you don't need to do that. Even in like the, I had someone talk to me from like the pro peloton who like would race crits periodically. And they're like, it's never like this dangerous. Like people are like, they respect each other. And if they wanted to, you know, get in front of you or like take your line, like they just pedal harder and get in front of you and they don't, you know, put your life at risk. It's unnecessary. As like gnarly as I be like I am and I like hurt myself all the time. I don't want to hurt other people in a bike race. I feel would feel terrible if I did that. There was so. a, a video, I think you put it out from Blue Dome this year. Oh yeah. Where at the end of it, you just go, fuck it, and you roll right out. Yeah. No, it's not worth it. Like you have to like it's like getting on that podium. I mean, I don't know. For some people, I'm sure it's like everything. For me, it's like I'm just there, like I'm having fun and it's a very thrilling experience. I'm in the moment. And like sometimes I will get close to winning or like I'll get a top 10 at one of those things. And it's sick. Not Tulsa. I need to get a top 10 at Tulsa before I die. But it's not like worth the chaos sometimes. And like there's been so many like last lap, like just chaos clusterfuck crashes. And it's like I just don't want to go through that again. I think like after I blew my AC joint out at OKC, I had like a slightly different perspective. That was like 2016. I was just like, oh, I'm not willing to die like for that anymore. Or like fight somebody for a wheel and then like, I don't know, it's just kind of like lost that. It comes back sometimes. Like at night. But also no, no one should have to die. No one should have to die. It's not necessary. <laughs> like that's not a choice that people should have to yeah, make. Yeah, like it crashes, yeah. crashes will happen naturally. But I think it's, yeah, that addition, that like added aggression as someone who's been racing like, you know, a decent amount of like pro crits for the last few years. Like it's definitely uh, on the rise. Um, I mean, God, actually when I went to CBR, this and this, I think I was like, Oh, California people like race differently. And I don't know how, but like some kid was, I was like riding up next to him, like not trying to take his wheel, trying to go up the train. And he starts like going like this. And I'm like, yo dude, his 19th wheel back the fuck up. And it's like, why? Like, there's no, there's no reason to physically touch anybody who's like going up the side of the thing. It's just like these kids are learning some stupid ass behaviors and it's really whack. Like just, I don't know, ride harder, but I don't know. I'm bigger than they are. So yeah, you and I both, you, you're, you're measuring what, like 200 right now? Almost 195. Yeah. I keep lifting the way I am. I'm not even squatting. I'm just bench pressing. Cause you know, the real crit you know, stuff is happening afterwards. We're all fighting now. That's the plan yeah. for 2023. It's just like every crit ends in a fist fight. So I'm going to be ready. Finish 35th and not There was the out. Gary Hall Jr. thing in swimming. If we won't, won't beat you in the pool, we'll beat you in the parking lot. That was, that was his thing. And bring it. I didn't think idiocracy was going to be a documentary either, but I guess, you know, life changes, right? Yeah. Things happen. So Tolly the Advocate. I have been to one driveway. Tell us about what it is. Like, what is the driveway? Why is it, in some people's estimations, the number one local weekday race series in the United States? 
Yeah, um, it drives a few things working for it that I think puts it on that that pedestal, and it is the greatest weekly bike race of all time. Um, number one, we can run these things from March until October, uh, which not a lot of other like just climate wise, not a lot of places can do that. We have one of the nicest quality racetracks in the country uh, with gra- with uh, asphalt that was imported from South Dakota for its like grippiness. So we have like an amazing track in a beautiful location that's close to downtown, like with off of a bike path. So within like a you know five mile ride from downtown, and um, you also have just again the longevity of this thing. It's been going on the for i want to say since the early 2000s maybe before that um so it's just like kind of established a bike racing culture in austin and yeah you just like with something like that that happens every week for you know sometimes 30 weeks you develop like a very strong bike racing or just bike culture in general in texas like you know in austin so we have that um and yeah, it's just, and that also had like, like fosters a very supportive community of like people that are willing to support bike racing. And I think a lot of them know how special it is what we have. And so they support it and uh, like financially, which is pretty sick. So yeah, it's tight. Celine is a winner this year of the driveway. Oh yeah, she won uh, king of the driveway, queen of the driveway. I should have called it something different for each category, but I didn't. But yes, Celine won. Why do you think it is so special for the community in Central Texas? Because like people will come to the driveway from hours outside of Austin. It's like no joke. People will come from Houston. Oh, yeah. I mean, I dude, it's so sick. Like when I started like, you know, basically like running or supporting the driveway this year, like I got so many emails from people that like this was the reason that they ride bikes. And like it was the reason they trained and they would drive four hours each direction to like race a bike. Like one guy was like an ER doctor. I had like other emails. And I'm like, this is sick. Like, I don't know. There's not uh, like, or it's sick that it means like that much to so many people. I was just going to say the driveway is like part of the reason that I moved to uh, the Austin area <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. it. Uh, so many people move here because of it. What's funny. Oh my God. Going back to like early bike racing, Chris, Cat 4. I was, I moved to Texas. I had raced two, no, three races in uh, the Northeast. I won all of them, by the way. <laughs> Those cat fours didn't matter. Um, and I remember messaging bike racers. I was just like, hey, does anyone race the driveway? Like, I see it on the calendar. Like, not knowing anything about it. Like, not knowing people that, like, I didn't have, in, like, anyone on Instagram I could go, like, look at to see, like, pictures of the driveway or, like, no, like no real, like some shitty quality GoPro videos that didn't really capture the atmosphere. And I remember showing up the first week in 2015 and I was just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. This goes on every fucking week. It was so sick. I was just like, there's free beer and there's like food trucks and you can race your bike and there's like hundreds of other people that are doing it. It's unreal. Like it's so unique. Like there's like plenty of weekly crits everywhere, but like, trust me, the driveway is like it there it's the top it's uh it's sick so the thing i think most people don't understand is that the driveway is variable there are multiple courses that can run on it and it's also literally a racetrack course so it's not just like the driveway is kind of a weird like 
you would sit there and think like, uh, is this like in a park or something like that? No, it's a, it's a car racing course that you guys take over every Thursday evening, Thursday afternoon. Correct. And Correct. over time, as things naturally evolved, the food trucks, the beer, the all of it happens. And people like actually just come to watch. They may participate, yeah. but they'll stick around and watch. You know, Austin's not unique in any way, shape, or form. I mean, the people who live in Austin are similar to the people who live in Dallas, who are similar to the people who live in Tulsa, who are similar to the people who live in Chicago, Seattle, and everywhere. Like, they're all, you know, humans. Yeah. What was it, you know, when did you realize that this was something that was unique and special and worth saving for Austin? Because the next question we'll ask after this is, what the hell happened that you had to step in and save something? So, I mean, honestly, I think it was my experience like prior to Austin that really made me realize like how special this place was. Like, you know, when you only get to race like a couple times a year or you have to drive far to do it, like, I mean, like, you know, in the Northeast, like, I guess they had like Wells Ave Crit, um, which I actually never raced. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like this, the scene was just so strong and it was like so fun. And yeah, I don't know. It was just like coming from different places, like knowing that I could do this every week. I was just like, I, you know, I have to save this thing. Yeah. I, I know Wells Ave up in Boston and, you know, the Central Park races in New York City, you know. Yeah. That's not like sanctioned, like that, or like not really. Like they don't, they can't close down Central Park. They do. And early, early, early in the morning, like at four or five o'clock in the morning. And that's the thing about Wells Ave. Wells Ave is at seven, eight o'clock in the morning as well in Boston because, you know, people need to use these streets. The driveways at night, like. Yeah. I mean, as late as we can run it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's at like sunset. Like it's like you can, you can work a normal job and like, you know, the four, Sorry for the Cat 4.5s that have to, you know, start the races at 4 o'clock. But, you know, it's still possible to, like, get out there on, like, a weekday, too. Like, Wells Ave was, like, a weekend crit, too. So, it's, like, you don't miss, like, a full day of training. Like, it's just kind of added in there. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, very unique. And I don't know. I realize, like, once it, like, once it goes away and, like, once people stop advocating for it, like, it disappears. Like I've seen that shit happen. Like with like, it's like BMX trails, like, you know, the head person stops like digging and then they kind of like go into disrepair. Like, it's just like, you know, I've seen it happen in like BMX spots and I know it would happen with, you know, something like this. So you got to have someone like advocating for it. What did happen with the driveway? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of complicated. Um, a large tech company called Oracle that's headquartered here, like one of the largest companies in the world, um, they purchased it um, for like a land swap deal. Like they wanted some like property, I think, along the Colorado for some additional facilities. And they were going to give this to the city um, as like a new city park. Like that's the current plan. Oracle is still the owner. Um, and the timeline on when it's going to turn into a city park is like, up in the air you know city red tape a lot of things a lot of moving pieces but you know with it was privately owned before so it was relatively easy and it was like an operating racetrack like you would go race uh like carts out there you would race like ferraris like the guy that owned it was like a ferrari test driver before uh he had the driveway and 
uh, where am I going with this? Uh, but yeah, once they bought it, Oracle is a multi-billion dollar company who doesn't know what bike racing is. Like, but there was, um, you know, they were like, hey, we want this like race series to continue. But, you know, there's a lot of like legal, like liability things to work out. Like there's a, it's basically establishing a whole new relationship where the previous owner had been there for <clears throat> 17 years. It's 17 years of like relationship building with Andrew Willis, who used to run the, or is still helping run the driveway. Um, so yeah, you had to kind of like restart all of that with a new party. And so that's why the series was delayed until September. So, but yeah, so there's like, you know, just legal stuff, liability stuff. And yeah, there's like a lot of back and forth to make sure no one gets sued. But you got involved this time to make sure that it kept going. True. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know this. We were one text away from not having driveway. One. What do you mean? Come on, tell us. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, well, it, like it was just back and forth. It was getting pretty late. Um, I think it was like August 15th. And they're like, I think Andrew texted me. He's just like, are you sure you want to do this? It's going to like, you know, it's we're getting down to the wire here. It's going to be a lot. And I was like, all I said was yes. And that was it. Like if I said no, all of it would have stopped. It was just would have been dead, like in the water for the, for the year. You know, it probably would have come back, but we wouldn't have had like nine weeks of racing. Um, and because I just want like, I don't know, I promise people like one of the things I learned this year is like not to, you just have to like do shit. Like don't say you're going to do it. Like don't like just think it like you have to put it out there. I told everyone, it's like, I'm going to bring this back because I started another race Wednesday night world's um, to kind of like feed the racing community something, which was a really like fun event. Um, we can kind of talk about that, but yeah, I like told everyone, it's just like, I'm going to bring this back. And out of, I mean, this is a funny thing that Willis told me is out of think the 11 or 1200 registered bike racers in the country I was the only one that reached out to him to actually do like boots on the ground, like started LLC, get liability insurance, go out there with a chainsaw at six in the morning, weed wet, like do everything it took to actually get it off the ground. So I just, yeah, I gave a shit. And then I told, I promised everyone I'd do it. And I was, uh, yeah, kind of psycho about making sure I kept that promise. I just want to also like make it super clear that you didn't just like lift it off the ground. You, it's not just like a race happened. Like it was more than a race like people got paid people won prizes like it was legit yeah so it wasn't just like somewhere sh people showed up in a parking lot kind of thing it was legit it's not low effort i couldn't bring the driveway back low effort but i will say i and i want this to be very clear that i did not do this alone like without andrew willis who has like kept bike racing alive and like thrown plenty of other races and the driveway for like 14 years without him i would have I couldn't have done it. Like if it was like, Hey, here's this, here's Oracle, like, you know, go talk to them. I would not have been able to do it. Cause it's like, no, there's no like guide to being a race promoter. Like USAC, I think has like some sort of like course, but like, there's no like race promoter apprenticeship or anything like that. So it's like, where do you learn to do that stuff? And I saw it as an opportunity. It's like, well, I can learn from the guy that's thrown more bike races in the country than anybody else ever. Like the driveway, like, like I have all the figures, like at least like the past, like 12 years of data, it's like 60,000 entries. That's insane. And then they're running at 30, like pretty much 30 weeks every week for 14 years. It's like, you don't ha like, it's hard to, like if he walked away and then there was no one to kind of like bridge the gap between what's happening next, it's like, that's so much knowledge lost. 
And it would be so much more difficult to start it up without that. Because then like, you know, where do I learn how to run bike reg? Where do I learn like, how, like who do I call for? I need to have porta potties, medical, uh, hydration. I need like, you know, a few USAC officials. Like there's so many relationships that like have been established. And then, I don't know, Willis was like, you know, basically passing on all of that knowledge to me. And eventually I ran them like, the, you know, the last ones I ran by myself. So, so the question is, why do it? You know, ultimately, and in the prelude to the question is, is something that I, I think a lot of us are learning now as we, as we are no longer 17 or 18 years old, you know, now that we're fully functioning adults in theory, that if you don't do something, it doesn't get done. Like you don't have a choice about becoming a leader or not becoming a leader. Chris Tolley is a leader regardless because you you have to be. You've decided that this is something that you give a shit enough about to put your effort into it. And if you didn't do it, there might not be that other guy who comes along and says, I'll do it. And so you, you just, why? Why did you care that much? Uh, well, I, ha you know, I haven't won a bike race in a while and I really needed to win one again. And so I had to bring driveway back in order to do it. <laughs> no, I'm, ju I'm just kidding. Uh, a lot of people said that, uh, that I was just bringing it back so I could win again. Um, no, I mean, I think it's like, I mean, I've always like, I, I had genuinely enjoyed like Wednesday night world. So just kind of go back to that was a race that I actually found this like abandoned, like, um, I don't want to say I found it. It's like a known place it's not like some like secret um but it's near this bmx spot called lizard ditch which is a diy spot that's been around since the 80s and like i help like you know i donate money to them and like help like mix concrete with them uh, to build these spots and then i took a wrong turn out of like getting there or like getting out of there and then i, I was just like whoa this is a closed loop and like all these like house there's all these driveways around here but there's no houses turns out it was like a floodplain that no one knew about flooded all these houses. FEMA came in, bought everybody out except for like five people. So it's like a skeleton of a neighborhood, which is perfect for a crit. And uh, yeah, so I, I was just like, oh shit, I'll start like throw like just you know putting on social media because you know I have an internet following, which is hilarious. And I was just like, hey, oh, we're all gonna meet up here. And like I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, we'll start at five o'clock, and then like. You know, it was like live traffic on the course, but it like felt very much like how I got into racing, which was like, you know, alley cats or like fast group rides and shit, like very DIY vibes. And it just grew from there. Like eventually there's a, there's a bike shop sending a mechanic out. Everyone's bringing water. People are showing up with leaf blowers to blow corners. Like they're bringing more traffic cones. Like someone printed out a sign, like a 200 meter to go thing. And like, I just saw that there was enough like, energy and like people that really loved bike racing in Austin that like I don't know they like I don't know they just made me realize that like people want this to keep going and and I tried permitting it like as people don't know like I tried making worlds like a legit thing but since it is like technically not a full city park it's like still has like these like kind of Mad Max style people living in the center of it uh it was going to cost me like two grand a week which would have been unaffordable because I didn't want to charge anybody. But yeah, all the while I was working on a driveway, like trying to get it back. It took months, like months and months and months. But I, you know, saw that I could do it to a degree and like very unofficially. And I was just like, oh, this is kind of fun. And I get to still race my bike. Like, cause I was still racing national, like, you know, around the country. 
and stuff and having a race that I could go to every week to like train like is you know I don't know breeds a very strong bike racer like there's been a lot of you know like Texas for instance like especially around Austin we have like the out of I think it's second to Colorado in terms of like most national champions and I like it's a direct correlation to how much like local bike racing we have yeah and I think a large part of that is just because you know driveway exists so it's tight what does Chris do at the end of the year? What do I do at the end of the year? Then this is like in what context? Any context? Like bike related, non-bike related? What are we talking about? Let's go non-bike related. Well, end of the year. And I'm going to talk very end of the year. This is actually pretty wild. If it happens, I will be so hyped. And I'll be back on Instagram for it. But I might be on someone's uh, yacht in the Caribbean <laughs> celebrating. Uh, yeah, celebrating the new year. That's plan. That's plan. A, number one, first and foremost, I won't, I won't give any more details on that because uh, I think, I, I, I don't know, I think I have to sign an NDA. Uh, but the other one is, and this is the sickest thing of all time because this is what got me into electronic music, is Justice is playing a DJ set in Austin on New Year's. And if anyone knows me, like I will consistently say the best essential mix of all time is the Justice essential mix from, I think it's 2007 and on bbc radio one and yeah that's playing on new year's or they're playing here which is incredible so that's my new that's the end of the year for me and i'll probably ride like 100 miles each day i'm just gonna be so tired but that's it well chris thank you so much for joining us we uh can't wait to see what happens with the dry uh, with the driveway next year oh yeah it's gonna be big time baby thank you Thanks for listening to another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com, your source for the full bevy of shows that you can find there. Today's episode was written and produced by me, Rob Kelly, with help from Celine Oberholzer, and it was edited by me as well. We are going to be off probably until sometime in the middle of February from doing the podcast, but we will be doing regular articles and whatnot on the Chronicle, our newsletter. So go to Substack and subscribe there and we'll be active as always on social media. So find us on Instagram at Criterium Nation. So everybody have a wonderful, happy holidays and a happy new year and great, great time out there training and getting in those long miles because you know what's coming. Crit season is coming is coming. So we'll see you out there again soon with more stories from our Criterium Nation.